It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon. Welcome to Talent Talk. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. As always, my my promise to you is that we will always have two fantastic guests on the show, and today is no exception. Um, in fact, the, this show is all about having really smart people who have something to say around talent and recruitment and leadership and engagement and culture on this show because I love to learn what other people are doing, love to have a conversation and figure out how we all can improve and get better all of the time. In fact, that is exactly why this show was created. We are now, uh, as, as always, since this show started, we we tape this live, we put it into a podcast and that's all over the podcast world. So if you like podcasts, cool, you can get us wherever you find those. Uh, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, all of them. And then more recently, we have been experimenting with, you know, the new technologies on the interwebs. And so we are on LinkedIn and Facebook, uh, Twitter and YouTube streaming live on video. So if you'd rather see our beautiful faces, you can go there now. You can go there after the fact and find uh, the shows and we are there. And for Twitter and LinkedIn, we are able to interact with you live. So if you have a question, you have a comment, if you think we said something brilliant, we said something stupid, you know where to to challenge us or to uh, give us, I guess, high five. So uh, pop in there uh, and let us know what you think. Um, you know, the the stories that have come out of, of these interviews over the years have been absolutely inspiring and phenomenal. And that's a tribute to, to the wonderful guests that have agreed to come on the show. And so what I keep doing is taking all those best stories and putting them into a book. And then I have a book. So um, it makes the writing process a lot easier just to take other people's wonderful lessons and stories. So check out my first book, The Power of Company Culture, if you want to learn how to have a fantastic culture. If you want to know more about remote work and hear the stories of my co-author and I and our journey for remote work, and then what the other awesome, smart people have done uh, in during the pandemic and beyond to, to expand remote, flexible, and hybrid work you can check out that book as well. We are live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, um, but you can get us on all those different platforms. So subscribing there will make sure you never miss anything. I don't have to even remember uh, when to tune in. So subscribing is your friend. Don't forget to do that. And last but not least, I mentioned it, but if you do want to make a comment on Twitter at PeopleG2, the hashtag Talent Talk, or you can also do it in any of the live streams. We will do our best to uh, re respond and engage with you there. Okay, my guest today, and now that I've teased it enough, uh, will be uh, Dory Clark, author and professor of this little, you know, 
small university you might have heard of called Duke University. Um, and I don't know if I can say the school name correctly. She will probably, I know what I want to say, but I feel like I'm going to say something inappropriate. It, maybe Fakua? Uh, maybe it's maybe it's Fakua? I don't know. So we'll find out of business. I'm clearly saying this wrong and I should have read this in advance to know how to say it correctly. So uh, shame on me. And then um, after we talk to her, we'll bring in uh, Joel uh, Schwartzberg. He's an author and leadership coach. But Let's find out how poorly I have uh, have done this, but uh, we'll talk to uh, to Dora here. She's named one of the top fifty business thinkers in the world by Thinkers Fifty by our uh, friend Marshall Goldsmith. Uh, he, you all have had he's been on the show. He was did my um, the forward to our most recent book, so he's certainly someone whose name you should recognize. Uh, he's the number one communications uh, coach in the world, and so Dory, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris, great to be here. Thank you. So tell me how badly I messed up the, the Duke uh, Business School. You, you were so close, man. It's Fuqua. Oh, I should have gone with the French. I should have. Okay, there we go. All right. Well, I'll try to remember that when I say it again here in a minute. Um, I, I know you, you're the author of Entrepreneurial You, um, and you do uh, lots of amazing things. Um, you were, uh, which is Named your book was named one of the most important business books by Inc. Magazine and one of their top five books of the year in Forbes. Uh, that's pretty amazing stuff. Um, and what else should people know about you? Like, let's dive into who you are and why people, you know, should be wonderfully fascinated by you and all the cool stuff that you're doing. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I the way that I describe what I do, Chris, is whether it's writing or consulting or teaching. I really try to help intelligent, you know, good people and really good companies get their message heard in a noisy and crowded environment. And it seems like every day it's a little harder to do that. There's that much more noise out there. And so I want to help people figure out how to penetrate that so that they can reach the the customers and their their ideas can impact the people that need to be reached. Well, that's a really important goal because as soon as one path seems to work, right? As soon as we get good at one thing, it seems like everyone starts doing it. And then, of course, you you lose that channel, you lose that voice. Uh, maybe not for everybody, but if you were just doing a mediocre job before, I remember years ago, we were doing video marketing had just started, right? And we did video marketing. We were killing it. It was like so awesome. And then everyone else went, oh, video marketing, let's do it too. And then it was like, no one watched your videos anymore. And then it ha you had to really be doing great videos to get people to watch. Whereas before I could literally put the biggest piece of crap um, into a reel and people would watch it, you know, because it, it was new. It was, uh, you know, something there. So is it a matter of staying, you know, on the cusp of what's new? Or is it more about quality over quantity? Is it... Uh, certainly, maybe with the Instagram models, is it, is, it is it quantity over quality at times? And what, what are you seeing as sort of the best approach right now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's very true that there there is often a first mover advantage on certain platforms where you can get a bajillion followers uh, because you're you're out there and the market hasn't really solidified yet. People are still figuring things out, but over time, there's almost always going to be competitors rushing into the marketplace, as you described. And so that's why I think it's so important. The tempting thing, I think the short-term thinking is for people to be all about tactics. What now? What next? What's the platform? Where should I go? You know, oh, everyone's doing this. Everyone's doing TikTok. And 
you know, you can you can get some quick hits, but ultimately what we need to do, unless we want to be leap, you know, attempting to leapfrog the competition uh, forever, because it, it is, you know, kind of a loser's game to just be hopping around and, and trying to, you know, grab the next thing. We need to pull back and really look at our strategy about who are we reaching? Are we reaching them with relevant messages? And are we building a long-term following through the ideas that we're sharing, not just uh, hopping onto a new platform? Because for every for every Instagram or TikTok that seems to be the big thing, uh, and you know, Instagram, of course, has had great staying power, there's the Vines and the Google Pluses of the world, where after a period of time, it, it just sort of collapsed. So it's, it's ultimately about shifting from short-term to long-term and from tactics to strategy. Should people really be thinking about having a long-term strategy right now? Or is it more of a short-term strategy? And, and and has that changed over the years, right? I mean, you mentioned Google+. Plus, and I remember back when that just never seemed like it was going to take off. It was always just seemed to be hampered in some way. But, you know, there was, we were all trying these different things. And, and it feels like the strategy was different than it was now. So is it is it more of a long-term play here? What, what, what are you seeing this going? Yeah, well, I, I have to confess, I'm, a, I'm not a disinterested observer, Chris. I'm a little biased because I have a new book. It's coming out literally in a week, and it is called The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term <laughs> Thinker in a Short-Term World. So I... Uh, Marketing I at its best, right there, loaded question. There's the book, fantastic. <laughs> that's right. So I do have a dog in the hunt. And I will say that I think that many people would probably agree that short-term thinking has become pretty prevalent these days. You know, so many incentives point toward it. And we can see it at the corporate level, um, all of the the rush at the stock market to optimize quarterly earnings, some of which uh, leads to some really bad behavior sometimes, you know, with the Volkswagens or the Wells Fargo's of the world. But even on a personal level, it can be very hard for us, even if we know we should be long-term thinkers, even if we want to be. When there is so much social media around us, we see everything that's going on everywhere. And you know, even literally today, I was listening to a client. We were having a conversation, and she was saying, "You know, I I don't really enjoy social media. I don't really know if it's that beneficial, but I am posting every day, and I'm worried about what I should be posting every day because I see everyone else doing it, and I think." For so many things, it's like that in our businesses. And I think it's a really good inflection point, especially as we are either, you know, who knows, right? We're either coming out of COVID or we're adjusting to COVID, like whatever it is, but we're we're a little bit more in the um, not immediate short-term panic mode. We're kind of figuring out how to live with this situation. I think this is a really important inflection point for all of us to go from what was of necessity reactive mode in short-term thinking. Oh my gosh, I've got to change everything. I've got to change all my travel plans. I've got to figure out how to um, make my business remote, which I know, of course, you know a lot about. And, you know, all of those things. And now we have to go to the longer term questions, which, for instance, uh, corporate culture, which I know you also know a lot about, or, you know, how do we actually make sure that we're optimizing for the right things. This is the moment for us to be reclaiming control over the big picture and articulating the vision of where we want to be going. I can always think of these classic examples of people, you mentioned it, they're almost chasing their tail, right? What's the next thing? They're seeing everybody else doing something, so they're going to do something. And it doesn't necessarily play out 
And yet I've known people whose websites are terrible, who do no web, who do no social real presence, right? And yet they're really good at what they do. And so they have no problem getting clients, have no problem sustaining their business. They maybe have the minimum out there they need to have to like prove they're a legitimate business. But like, you know, I know people that have redone their website six times in the last two years and they in rebranded themselves and they still have the same problem. They have don't have enough clients. So is this sort of a is there a balance here or are we need to think about being more uh, relevant, more important and, and, and more, you know, I guess, impactful to our clients versus being busy, right. Being just sort of out there, uh, you know, just trying to, 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 I don't know, keep up with, with the Joneses, right. On the, in, in social media. I think you raise an important point, Chris, because almost every business owner understands the difference between, uh, true wastes of time and, you know, wor- things that are working on the business, right? We know we shouldn't be watching cat videos. We know we need to be doing business, you know, productive business things. But where I see a challenge is there is this gray category. And in this gray category, it's things that appear to be productive for your business, but actually are a little bit of a rabbit hole. Because in the, they might help, you know, it's better than doing nothing. It's better than the cat videos, but it's not really about driving business results. And so, for instance, um, you get so many people that are that are fixated on, oh, I need the perfect logo. I need the perfect tagline. Oh, let me redo the website for the fifth time. Maybe that'll do it. And a lot, you know, it feels productive because you're doing you're doing something for your business. But at the end of the day, if you don't have clients, you don't really have a business. And so I think that we often try to anesthetize ourselves a little bit because sales is very confronting for a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, this is the ultimate in like, do you want my thing or, or don't you? And because people are often very hesitant to face that head on and have those conversations, they prefer to kind of dither around the edges with marketing activities that, you know, while you can make the case that they're important, they're not as important as actually getting a client. And so we really have to understand wherever we are in the phase of our business, we need to know what is the most important thing we should be doing and spending time on. Sometimes think it's easier for people to worry about the color on their website or you do a logo or even to post, you know, a stupid video or something or a quote on social media than it is to do the harder work of picking up the phone and really try to talk to someone, right? Or send a very well-crafted email and then follow up another 15 times or do the hard stuff, right? To get someone to actually buy from you. Um, and, and so it's so much easier to be like, well, I'll just put a post on Facebook. Hey, everyone, do you know I sell this thing? And then, you know, no one interacts with it. And then why isn't it working? Um, as opposed to like, well, who's like 10 people who could buy from me? And how do I figure out how to actually sell to them and really engage and really have a conversation? So you, you think this is just old school avoidance, right? Are we just avoiding the hard stuff and just in a new way? I think that it can be partially that. Um, I think many folks legitimately convince themselves that it that this is worthwhile. This is what is essential. And if you if you were just focused on what, for instance, the media fixates on, then it would be social media. Social media is something that's very sexy for the media to cover. It's also, frankly, something that's easy for the media to cover because it's quantifiable. You can see how many likes, you can see how many followers. And so, yeah, do that. They don't know how many calls you're making to prospects. That's behind the scenes. But if you want to grow a successful business, 
that's that's much more of what you need to do. Now, there's a time for everything, of course. I'm not saying social media isn't important. It is useful. One of the one of the principles that I talk about in the long game is what I call thinking in waves. And what I mean by this is that really there's a, in in your business and in your career, there are seasons to things. And one of the primary ones that I feel like isn't fully appreciated by business owners is the seasons of sales and marketing. And so early on, you need to focus really a ton, like let's call it 90% of your time on sales, because you need to make your business a going concern. You need to be talking to prospects. It doesn't matter if you have a website. It doesn't matter if you have a tagline, like just have the minimum so that people, as you said, understand that you're not like, you know, a robber trying to extort them. You're like, you're actually a business person, but don't focus on the frills, have the sales conversations, get the money in the business in the door. You do that. But then at a certain point, there comes a time where you need to shift, you know, go into the next wave and you start to think much more about marketing. And the reason that that's important is that if all you do is sales and referrals, that's good. But for a lot of businesses, you sometimes hit a limit where, you know, the people, the people you're serving, they've referred you to everyone they know. They don't know more people. Right. And so marketing is about how do you get new people to be introduced to you? How can you speak to a wider audience now that you have this base and credibility? So you do need both, but you need to understand where you are in the cycle. Yeah, it's really, really important. And uh, I'm sure you have, you have lots of strategies. People can check out your books. Uh, I, with I'm sure the law that will help. I, I know one of the things I wanted to ask you is, uh, you know, I like to do lots of different things. I would probably get bored if I had to do the same thing all the time. And given that you're teaching at Duke and you have books and you have clients, you have services, um, you sound a little bit like me that you like to do lots of different things. So what strategies do you have that you've incorporated, maybe like your weekly schedule, your regular schedule to really help you maximize your time? Yeah, I think that's a, a really important question. And you're absolutely right, Chris. I actually... Um, my most recent book before the long game is called uh, Entrepreneurial You, and it's about how do you create a... Hold it down from heaven, I just That's okay, right, right? Straight from heaven. <laughs> yes, this was actually originally written on a tablet, little known fact. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's about how to have a portfolio career and how to make money from that portfolio career. The way that I like to think about it, first of all, sometimes people will say, oh, but that sounds so confusing. How, you know, how do you balance it? You know, don't, don't you get pulled in too many directions? So the first piece of advice that I have is I think it's great to have multiple income streams, but I suggest that if people are new to adding them, you should only focus on adding one new revenue stream per year. Because the truth is you need to master it. You need to, you need to figure out the nuances of it. Um, it's not that hard to keep juggling balls, but it is hard to start juggling the balls. So for instance, I wouldn't recommend starting a podcast and a mastermind and an online course all in the same year. I think it's better to stagger it so that you can really master how to do those things and how to monetize them. Right. Um, so that's that's one principle that I follow. But on a, on a kind of weekly basis, if we're talking about schedules, I am a big fan of in my own life, following a premise that Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator talks about. Uh, he wrote a famous essay where he talked about manager time and maker time. Manager, manager time is where you're 
just doing all the kind of administrative things, like you have meetings and meetings and calls and all the things that you have to do to keep projects going. Maker time is basically about doing deep work. And as an entrepreneur, you need to do both. So I actually try to schedule them on different days. Now, everything, of course, is out the window uh, when you're doing a book launch like I am for the long game. But once I get past the launch, I'm going to be resuming my longstanding practice of having separate days for manager tasks and for maker tasks. I like that idea. And I know I, I sort of have done the I'll block off time on my calendar. I don't know if I... My brain's ever thought about like in full days, but you know, definitely like, okay, I'm going to block off these two hours for this thing to, to think or to get things done or to work on this part of my business or this other part of a different business. Um, but it's important at least you're thinking about it, right? You're, you're being somewhat strategic about it because otherwise the wind just keeps blowing and you just get pushed into whatever thing comes along. I know one of the challenges a lot of people have when they're trying to build different income streams, they're trying to do lots of different types of things is this sort of... And I think it's a great idea to want to say yes to most things or to say yes to a lot of things. But do you have any advice on people, what people should be doing to think about when they should say no to opportunities? You know, Maybe there are certain ones that are going to get in their way or certain ones that are going to be bad for them. You know, when, you're, when you're in that building, but we've all done it, like you start a business and you, you get a, this client and you're like, this is a dog with fleas, but I don't care. I just need the revenue in the door, right? And then like two years later, you're like, I would never take that client ever again. So like, how do people think about that in, in good context? Yeah, it's such an important question. And in fact, the, the whole first section of the long game is about how to create more white space in your life and in your business. Because it's not that it takes a huge amount of time to do strategic long-term thinking, but it does take some time. And if you are scheduled 110% so that there is no margin whatsoever, you are not going to be in a position to ask yourself questions that you need to in order to understand if something is worth doing. So one thing that I actually suggest in the book, Chris, is I have four key questions that people can ask themselves when it comes to evaluating an opportunity and deciding if it's the right fit. And I, I try to apply this in my own life as well. So the first one is, what is the total cost? And what I mean by this is it's very easy for all of us to convince ourselves, you know, if we don't really think about it, if we're using shorthand, that something is, you know, not that big of a deal, right? Oh, you want me to do a free webinar? Well, it's only an hour. But then all of a sudden you realize, oh, they want to have two planning calls. Oh, it's on a subject I don't really know about. So I need to research right. it and I need to create a deck. All of a sudden you realize, oh, I agreed to a four or five hour project there. So really understanding what you're committing to is number one. Number two, what is the physical and emotional cost? Because sometimes, especially if it's a travel obligation or just something that's happening when you're in a state where you're really run down or it's already a really busy time of year for you, might not be optimal, even if at an another time, it wouldn't be a problem. Next is what is the opportunity cost? Because so often we feel like, oh, you know, can I, should I do this or should I not do this? That is the wrong question. The, the right question is, should I do this? Or should I do literally anything else in the world that takes that amount of time? We need to open up our field of vision. And the last one is, would I feel bad in a year if I didn't do this? If, if you would, then maybe you should do it. If you're going to forget about it in a week anyway, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And, and I think the other area that saying no, that you, maybe you didn't cover that's so important, is it often can give you a little bit of a glimpse into 
where you are in, in your career and your trajectory. Because I have said no to people that were offering very little or I knew it was going to be very difficult. And magically, when I said no, their budget got bigger. Magically, they were willing to do these things they weren't willing to do when I said, I just don't want to do this. And I went, oh, I can charge more now, right? Oh, I can, I can make this demand. I have done enough things that... You know, I'm not beholden to this tiny little budget or this, like you said, three meeting, three prep meetings for two hours, you know, each. And you're just like, no, I will do one webinar for one hour for this one thing. And that's it. Or it's okay. Here's five other people you can go talk to, you know. So uh, that's always been a great kind of level for me to know where am I at, right, in this in this sort of the, the process. So, so uh, good. I love that, Chris. So I want to make sure we ask you uh, our most important question before we wrap up here. And that is, how can people get a hold of you? Where can they find your books? What's the best way for them to engage and know everything about you? Well, I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, again, the, the book that we were talking about is The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. And I would say, in addition to being able to pick it up all the places one can pick up books, uh, that if folks are interested in figuring out how to apply long-term thinking principles more in their own professional life, you can get a free long game strategic thinking self-assessment and folks can download it for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. And if anyone is uh, terrible at spelling, especially the spelling of names, it's D-O-R-I-E. Uh, hopefully you can spell Clark um, on your own, but uh, just in case you need that, uh, you know, Dory, it was such a pleasure talking with you today. I love your energy. We did not get to like a hundred other things we could have talked about. So clearly we need to have you back on the show uh, sooner than later and we can keep the conversation going, but thank you so much for being our guest today. Love that, Chris. Thank you so much and take care. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break and we'll bring in my second guest, Joel uh, Schwartzberg. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, you can always listen to Dory's interview on our podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, where you find podcasts. Or you can go back and look on, look me up on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter or Facebook, I'm everywhere. Like like COVID, I'm everywhere. Um, and you can uh, watch the uh, live video version of this as well at any any time you would like to do that. So um, we also have talenttalkradio.com where you can uh, search and look for past shows. And on my website, chrisdyer.com, we even have recaps and blogs all about the wonderfully intelligent things that my guest said 
And no one remembers any of my bad jokes. We don't put them there. So anyways, um, let's bring in my next guest, who is Joel Schwartzberg, author of The Language of Leadership, How to Engage and Inspire Your Team. Joel is a leadership communications coach uh, with clients, including American Express, Comedy Central, State Farm, uh, and many more, and previously held senior editorial and communication roles at PBS, Time, and Nickelodeon. That is quite a diverse group of people to have worked for. Um, and fun fact, Joel is a former national champion in competitive public speaking and was inducted in the National Forensic Forensic Association's Hall of Fame. There is so much here to unpack. We probably could just spend time asking questions about your background. Holy smokes. But uh, Joel, welcome to the show today. So glad to have you here. Thank you, Chris. It's my pleasure. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about you? I mean, what else did I miss? What what should we know or be thinking about in the context for our conversation today? Well, fortunately, in my youth, I had no athletic prowess whatsoever, and I never picked up golf. <laughs> so between those two things, I had a limited sphere of activities to be involved in. But you're right. I got involved in competitive public speaking, what they call forensics, on the middle school, high school, and college circuit uh, in sixth grade. And in many ways, I never stopped. Uh, as I learned, I developed my skills. I did better professionally and competitively. And as I learned more about communication, I actually focused my training on these ideas of how to make clear points, how to understand what a point is. And I began my practice of helping uh, groups and individuals about 15 years ago. And today I work for a nonprofit where I actually oversee executive communications. So the beauty of that is I get to see the work in process as I learn about it, improve upon it, and learn how to work with a wide range of people to help them champion their points. So how do we identify and make a clear point? I think in this day and age, we were just talking with Dory about the the level of of noise and and heart. it's difficult to maybe be seen from a marketing and a messaging standpoint. Uh, certainly politically, it feels like it's been hmm. more difficult than ever. Uh, so what, what are your, some of your suggestions on helping people uh, figure that part out? The first step is recognizing what a point is not, because that's what a lot of people are doing, Chris, uh, not making points, but thinking they are. Uh, so here are some things that are not points, uh, topics, themes, categories, notions, sometimes ideas are not points. Point is a proposition that you're putting your reputation uh, and your knowledge against to suggest to someone. Uh, so for example, and this really comes out in examples and exercises, let's take podcasting, for example. Uh, if you asked me for my point, and I said I was gonna talk to you today about podcasting, what have I told you? Uh, nothing really. How do I feel about podcasting? What is podcasting used for? What's the future of podcasting? What's the benefit or relevance of podcasting? Nothing. I just throw out this theme, podcasting. It's not until I say something like, podcasting is the best way to reach out to our millennial audience. Now, that's a point because I can prove that with data, with evidence, with storytelling, with reasonability, with everything Aristotle taught us about persuasion. And on top of that, I have a very simple test that I use called the I believe that test that helps people really understand if what they have is truly a point or not. Well, and that's so, so important because, and I think this gets back to even like the frustrations that people have in watching somebody at a conference. Many years ago when I started being asked to come and speak, I do as much as I can to give people 
direct and specific advice and, and mm-hmm. practical things they can use, right? Because I feel like that's more important. I'll right, go listen to these other speakers and they're just giving you ideas and talking about these peripheral things and using mm-hmm. a lot of business language and you walk out of there going, and they might've been very inspirational. They may have even, you know, really riled you up to be positive about, like you said, about podcasting, but then you walk mm-hmm. out the door going, but how do I do it? Right. What, right. What, what, what am I supposed to do now? Uh, other than, you know, hire them to be a consultant. So, uh, you know, there's, I think it's super important for people to, to figure that out. I guess in a right. leadership role, can you maybe give some suggestions on how you would expect people to, to, to make better points, to present more effectively, especially in this more you know, world of virtual meetings and remote work that we've really kind of dived into in the last year? Right. Let's let's. I'm going to share that that exercise with you if you don't mind. It comes from Absolutely. my book. Get to the point. So simple, even the child can use it. You uh, take what you think is your point, usually a sentence or it should be a sentence, and you simply put the words "I believe that" in front of it. Now, if you have a complete sentence, not a fragment or a run-on, something that would impress your fourth grade language arts teacher, then you are on your way to making a point. But if it is not a complete sentence, then you need to reimagine it so that it does. So going back to podcasting, for example, or let's use leadership this time. I believe that leadership, not a complete sentence, fails the I believe that test, not a sure. All right, let's move it up a rank. I believe that the importance of leadership, still not a sentence. Uh, we don't actually get to a complete sentence until we say something like, I believe that one of the jobs of a leader is to listen clearly to their... Uh, people. Now, that's a, a it's a complete sense. And you can tell by the nature of it that it makes an audience or even a team say, go on, uh, you're interested, you're intrigued, and you want to hear more. So that's the test I give to everyone, whether it's an intern or a CEO to first decide uh, what is their point, then we go on to sharpening it and championing it. Show leadership in particular, what I see a lot of leaders doing is something you just des- described, Chris, which is basically what I call giving a book report. Here is the history of this project. Here is the data we collected. Here's how many people are involved. Here's how much money we're throwing against it. Here's what we're investing. Uh, let's hope for the best. Thank you. Right. And they never sold the point by saying, how will this have meaning? How will this change the profitability of this business? How will this change our lives as employees? Sometimes I say it's the difference in the book between the table of contents and the blurb. The table of contents describes the inventory, gives a Wikipedia page, it's encyclopedic uh, book report. But the blurb sells. And the truth is, and some people don't like to hear this if they're not uh, in the sales department, but everybody is in sales. Uh, if you have an idea that's just as important as a product, and if you want to give it life, you need to sell it, not just share it. Do you think there's any uh, maybe sort of hesitancy by people to stand up and say, I believe that and and fill in the blank right on a particular issue, because we've been told to be open minded, we've been told to listen, we've been told to do these things. And I feel like often people generally hold back their opinions and hold back their strong beliefs, they still have them, I would say, I believe that they still have them. They're just not being bold and not standing up and saying, I believe we should do this thing. And this is why and then maybe stepping back and saying, but I'm willing to listen to other opinions and other uh, options and things like that. Do you th- think there's some sort of 
cultural, you know, uh, thing that's happening here where we're sort of keeping people from being that bold and, and saying those things out loud? I think often the idea that either or is overemphasized. Like if I am being, if I'm a good listener, that means I shouldn't be talking with uh, a convincing way or take a strong or loud uh, approach to my communications. Or if I need to be an empathic leader, that means that I can't put myself uh, out there and put my ideas out there. But it's not either or. And one of the reasons I wrote the book, The Language of Leadership, was to discuss all the different ways uh, leaders can and should communicate depending on the circumstance, but often not depending on the circumstance, so that they do two things and two things only, at least paramount, Chris, which is one, to inspire, and two, to engage. Now, I do talk about listening. I talk about authenticity. I talk about inspiring hope, but there are many ways to do that. And in truth, a leader should do all of them. You know, we never think, well, leaders should only be one way. Uh, so we shouldn't expect a leader to only communicate one way. You know, I, I sort of learned uh, this lesson the hard way uh, back in 2009 that I, I needed to spend my time trying to help my people, trying to help them be more effective, try to help right. them, you know, uh, clear obstacles and find ways to help them get to where they wanted to go. Uh, as opposed to focusing on, you know, what my specific P&L was, what I was doing, what, you know, it was sort of this uh, things that I could control as opposed to helping them be better the things that they can control. So is that part of the, the mastery here? Do we want to focus more on the team? Do we want to focus more on our audience, focus more on the communication that's happening, right? And less on that specific me, the specific thing that I'm trying to do in order to ultimately reach your goals? Right. I mean, we're talking about a Simon Sinekian kind of a approach, yeah. uh, which is my job is really to support everyone around me. And there's a lot written about how leaders should position themselves to support their teams, the upside down triangle. You know, I succeed when my team succeeds. But I want to focus specifically on communication. How does this work out in the world of communicating? And here's where I see it, Chris. I see what you're talking about when leaders come to a communication opportunity by saying or asking themselves, what do I want to say? What's important to me? What do I want to get across? These are the wrong questions because you could communicate those to a brick wall. You could communicate that to your pets. It's not taking into account uh, your audience, your team, your employees, and what they receive is the ballgame. At the end of the day, if what you're saying is not received and acted on, if it's not inspiring people, then there's no point in saying it. Uh, your words are worthless no matter what they are. So the right question is, what does my audience, my employees, my teams, what do they want and need to know? And start there. Then you work backwards. How do I use my experience, my knowledge, my know-how, uh, my expertise to match my communication to what that particular audience wants and needs to know. And only when you match that can you even come close to inspiring them. But all too often, like you say, there's a me and an I approach because I'm the leader. I need to come up with all the answers and I need to tell them what they don't know. No, we need to work it in reverse. Uh, that team can only benefit if they receive, if they buy what you're selling. Yeah, and when you get your team involved, right, you, 
if you got five people on a call, you have five heads to help you figure out how to do something as opposed to you, the leader, feeling like you have to come up with all the answers and you have to solve all the problems and listen to all the complaints. And, you know, that gets exhausting. It gets tiring over time. And, you know, I feel like there's some uh, misnomer in the in the world. We, 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 we glorify, let's say, someone like Steve Jobs without mm-hmm. ever talking about the incredible teams that he had around him. Yes, he right. was inspiring. Yes, he did these things. But he didn't. So he just came from somewhere. Yeah, he didn't invent uh, <laughs> the concepts behind these ideas. And in many cases, not the technology uh, either. But there's a caution here. Uh, and leaders should bring in as many people as possible, but they shouldn't make themselves a vacuum or the note taker. They have an important role in that meeting. And that's why I often say when a leader comes to the meeting and that leader could only be leading the meeting. I don't mean all leaders are CEOs and uh, not all CEOs are leaders, uh, but people who are leading a meeting, let's say, they need to come to the meeting with points, not just uh, bullets on an agenda. Uh, they need to step into the role of inspiring discussion. Because sometimes those ideas from your colleagues, they need to be pulled out. Uh, and that's a leader's job. Uh, you can't just assume they're going to come out there and you're going to benefit from them. So how do I inspire the people around me or keep them focused on the points that we need to discuss and overcome so that we are successful? So a lot of what we, we've discussed so far has been I mean, put in the category of, of, of verbalizing and, and mm-hmm. talking and, and communicating in a, you know, with our mouths. But there, there's another whole other part of communication that is that is written communication. Right. Uh, we could even probably talk about body language too. But you know, let's just we'll go one step at a time here. So within, you know, writing, how do we be effective? How do we take some of the things you're talking about and translate it into the the written word, whether that's in Slack or that's an email or 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 I guess an old school snail mail letter? How, how do we be effective there? I'm going to focus on the one platform of communication that is used more often than any other, at least in the in the workplace, uh, and that is email. It's not true with my uh, kids. They actually text more than they email. But I think in the workplace, we're using email uh, way more than we're having Zoom meetings, even though we have more Zoom meetings than actual meetings. We use email more often than we chat or post or anything like that. And what's interesting is I can train a leader to uh, engage and inspire through their communication. But then when they send me an email, it all goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts at the subject line. Uh, the subject line is your one place to say, will this email be relevant or not? Uh, yet often the biggest ideas you have, the most transformational concepts you woke up with this morning, go under a subject line that says, re, 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 Wednesday. <laughs> So it's important to realize from top to bottom, from that subject line to the uh, goodbye and action steps, that the communication needs to be concise, uh, needs to be clear. I recommend bullets. I recommend breaking up paragraphs. And not only that, Chris, I recommend a very specific, uh, I give very specific advice on this one, and that is this. No paragraph more than three sentences. No paragraph more than three sentences. And I write a lot of paragraphs that are one sentence long. And this may seem uncomfortable at first, but what it does is it enables you to realize your own points, this, then this, then this. But even more importantly, we talked about it's not about you, it's about your audience. So they can process each of your ideas, each of your points almost independently and make sense of it, find the relevance of it so it can have impact on them. 
Yeah, and, and, and it's usually effective. And how do you help the other person understand? How do you help them be right. effective in their response? I mean, I've, I've done, hey, need to connect with you on, and then like give them a bullet point, like nine bullet exactly. points or three bullet points. Let me know what you think. <laughs> yeah, and bullets, and let me know what you think is key. That's called the action step. How do we keep this email conversation from dying on the vine? Decide on the next meeting. Let's have Marsha crunch that data so we have it for the next presentation. You know, there are a lot of ways to use that tool and use particular tips for that tool of email to make sure not that you're sending a good email, but that your email is effectively received. Yeah, and and I'm not sure people think about that as much as they should. I, I know my sales team does. They think about how to get emails moving. They think about how to get them responded to because that's a, that's a vital part of their business. Sure. But other people in the, in the organization may not be thinking about that as much, right? They, they send the email and they go, well, I guess if the client didn't get back to me, then they maybe they don't care about this thing or they don't want us to right. work on this thing. Right. And in many ways, they're transferring, yeah, and they're transferring the burden of what to do next to the uh, recipient or to someone else. All right, I put something in an email. Now you need to make sense of it. You need to pull out the to-dos and the, the charges that you need to take up next. And you need to get back to me. Otherwise, I don't have a responsibility. You know, it's a leader's responsibility, not just to send the email and check the box. It's to, is to, in fact, make sure the email is received and the job is done. That means that's what it means to own a project and not just to see it as a series of tasks. Sometimes people have uh, struggled in their communication styles because you know, maybe they're taking on someone else's style. Maybe they're thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, geez, my manager did a good job of it, but the way my manager does is not really the way I want to do it. And, and so sometimes, you know, having to go into someone else's closet and put on their clothes feels very uncomfortable. So h- how can we take communication and authenticity and, and put them together, right? So that somebody can go out there and be effective in their communication. There were two levels to this. One is the clients who come to me and say, I say, what is your goal? They say, well, I have two goals, really. The first is not to screw up. And the second is to sound like Steve Jobs or Michelle Obama. Um, and Michelle Obama is my favorite uh, public speaker, to be uh, honest with you, uh, just the way she delivers. But I would never tell someone to watch a bunch of videos of Michelle Obama and then mimic what she does. Because you know what? You know 100 things she doesn't. You went to school. Uh, you got the job, you got the promotion, you are more qualified than anybody in the world to deliver this point on this day, on this stage, or in this platform. And so you need to find the ways to breathe life into what you're saying, uh, to find a way to be a champion of those points. So don't compare yourselves to other people, because you are not them, then that becomes a what I call a performance versus a presentation. Now, the other ways you mentioned authenticity, and that's critical. Uh, The number one rule for me is, Never say anything you wouldn't normally say. And that may seem obvious, uh, but it's particularly important if you have speechwriters working for you, if you're a leader, uh, hold that rule and, and hold it firmly because audiences and teams, can, they can sniff out in uh, when you're being inauthentic uh, merely by the words you're using or trying to use. I also say never use a script, a word-for-word script. Uh, 0.001% of occasions uh, should anyone use a word-for-word script or much less memorize that script. The idea of public speaking and inspiring your audience is not about reading to them, 
Uh, it's about presenting to them and inspiring to them. And you can only use that if you're looking them in the eye and seeming somewhat spontaneous. That means you have notes to remind you of the points you need to make, but that are triggering you, not scripting you. Yeah, it's great advice. I mean, if you wouldn't say these things to your friends or to your parents or to your kids, right? right? If, if you would get laughed out of the room, you better not do it to strangers because they they can sniff out being inauthentic. And uh, you know, if you're going to pretend to take on some of the leadership style, I think it's great to go and research other people's, you know, sure. who, who are good at, at delivering speeches or are good at communicating to their teams and then figure out which one has a style that you feel like you can make your own, right? That you can. Right. And right. And ask yourself not, oh, what does Steve Jobs do that I can do? Or what does Michelle Obama, you know, how can I be more like her? But what decisions are they making in real time or did they make ahead of time with the help of communication staff to make sure what they say uh, has total impact? Like if I can give you one example, when Michelle Obama spoke at the 2020 Democratic National Convention, what struck me most as a communications coach uh, was not so much her content, not even her organization, not even her stories or introduction, all that was great. But it's these things that she did that I call attention magnets. And here are three lines she used. One, she said, and let me once again tell you this. Later, she said, let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. And then in that same speech, later, she said, if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. And it is using a technique that basically draws everyone's attention. I mean, you will step up and pay attention if someone says to you, if you take one thing from my words, it is this. Uh, these are magnets, and she used them deliberately. So when people do the, that kind of research, whether it's people in the past or people in the present, ask yourself, what decisions are they making? What techniques are they using to get my attention and hold my attention? That's powerful, powerful advice. And hopefully someone out there is listening that can take it, take that and run with it and be more effective and help their teams and give a better speech or a better uh, presentation to clients, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Uh, I'm, I know, Joe, your your uh, work here will certainly be helpful to, to many. Uh, the most important question I can ask you is how can people get a hold of you? Where can they find out more about you, your books, your work, all of that? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, the IT folks love when I say this. Um, I like my material to be open code. Uh, that is, I like to give it out for free. And if you go to www.joelschwartzberg.net, uh, that is my portfolio. But more importantly, that is where I put all my podcasts, all my articles, all my tips. You can learn more about, more about my books, The Language of Leadership, and Get to the Point. And I really, my joy is from people taking away uh, the insight that I wasn't born with. Uh, but they learned uh, throughout the years all along the way so that they can become stronger champions of their points. And for my uh, phonetically challenged people out there like myself, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z-B-E-R-G, Schwartzberg, um, I would have been worried if it was an E or a U. So uh, hopefully people can can find you that way. You can always link up to me uh, on LinkedIn or wherever you find me. If you need help finding Joel, ha happy to steer you in the right direction. But Joel, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. There was so many areas, uh, like our first guest with Dory, that we could have gone into a hundred more directions. So I really uh, want to invite you back to come back to the show at some point and we can keep the conversation going uh, and really appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Chris. And I thank your audience for taking the time to learn. 
All right, thanks everyone for tuning in today's show. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 